Hey, last month I went dancing at this cute spot in Florida where my roommate's girl made like five G's a night. Because of my we just met yesterday and you already trying to take whole trips together? Be ready by two. Hi, bitch! You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. You want to go somewhere with me? That's my face. Shut it so bad. Dear Heavenly Father, we are asking you a special prayer today. We asking you to send us niggas. Send us niggas with culture. Send us niggas with good credit. What brings y'all here? We making shmoney. Money, titties, money, titties. From here on out, watch every move this bitch make. Why you tagging me sis. in photos? You don't even fuck with me. Sis. Let me know. Sis. Let me know. Yes, Let me sis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rorkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we'll be talking all about A24's newest release, Zola, which came out in theaters last week. I definitely have some thoughts on the movie, so I'm excited to talk to you about that. And then we'll also be going into A24 as a distribution company, a little bit about them, why we mention them so much on the pod here, and we're going to be playing a few games with their movies and characters. So I'm excited for those as well. I can't wait to play these games. I'm also excited to talk about Zola and where it fits into A24's filmography. But before we get into all of the A24 content today, we have some new Academy members and changes to the Oscars. So we can run through that quickly. We have 395 new members in the Academy from 50 countries. A little breakdown here, 53% of that new class is international. 39% is from underrepresented racial or ethnic groups, and 46% are women. We also have some notable inclusions. I think the first name that I saw that I was really excited about was our Ohio girl, Carrie Coon. (laughs) She made it in. Also, some of the Minari cast. This includes the adults, not the children. (laughs) Not Yeah, I was sad not to see Alan Kim on that list. I know. I was, like, looking for him because... (laughs) of all the other Minari cast members that I saw, but very excited for all of them. I think the other big name that I obviously was excited for was Rob Pattinson. I thought he was already an Academy (laughs) member. Yeah, I was surprised he wasn't, I guess, really after The Lighthouse. The most surprising addition, and this happens every year where you'll see a name and you think, how are they just now being admitted to the Academy? And for me Mm -hmm. this year, that was Nathan Lane. I could not believe it took this long. That's incredible. Yeah, I was really shocked when I saw this name as well. Along those lines is Jonathan Glazer, who directed Mm -hmm. Under the Skin, which I may mention in a bit, just because he wasn't in this year's race, really. And I think along with that, a lot of this year's nominees and contenders were also invited to join. And then one last member who is very relevant today is Janixa Bravo, who directed Zola. She was also invited to join, so I think that'll be exciting, and we're definitely going to be talking about her in a few minutes. Some of the new rules that we have here, the best sound category will have a bake-off and a round of preliminary voting, so we will get a shortlist this year of those nominees. So a bake-off similar to what the visual effects category has. I'm very curious to see how that will go and how that will affect our predictions and the nominees. And then another new rule is that for the three shorts categories, they're going to be expanding the shortlist from 10 to 15 films, which is going to give us a lot more homework. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And these are usually hard to find. So it's going to be interesting once these shortlists come out. Yeah, they are difficult. Once the shortlists come out, we'll try our best to find where all of those shorts are so that you can watch them. Our other rule that we have here in the best original score category, now this score only has to make up 35% of the total music in the film. And this is a big deal because initially it had to make up 60% of the total music. So a lot of films that previously wouldn't have made the cut now could be eligible, which is really exciting, I think. 
So our other rule that we got is that the Academy is sticking with their streaming rule from last year, which says that films can premiere on streaming platforms, but they do need a seven-day run in one of these six qualifying U.S. cities, so not just New York or L.A. But then the Directors Guild of America, the DGA, released a statement saying that all films released after June 15, 2021 must have an exclusive seven-day theatrical run before arriving on a streaming platform. So that puts all of the Warner Brothers films in jeopardy of not qualifying for the DGA. So we know right off the bat that's Dune. That's what we've Mm -hmm. talked about a lot. Yeah, it's a wrinkle for those day-and-date movies. But what scares me here is that, you know, we know the Academy, they're not changing their rule. But the DGA has a lot of influence, and I'm wondering, like, will the WGA follow suit? Will the ASC follow suit? These other guilds, what will their rules be? And then if you think about campaign, neither of us have seen Dune yet. A film like that that has presumably a lot of strong below-the-line elements, you know, they need those guilds Mm -hmm. to get to the Oscars, you would think. So I'm really curious what they're going to do here. Denis obviously is a very respected director. He's been nominated for Best Director before. I mean, this is all us just guessing that Dune is going to be great. The other side to this is if producers and film execs are going to try to change the release format for these films if that's even possible with warner brothers specifically these movies have been constantly changing their release dates it's not unheard of that dune would come out and say hey we're gonna release here for seven days because they had just delayed their release three more weeks yeah lots of issues here lots of rules and moving parts jeez We'll see what ends up happening. For now, let's get into A24. I think just to start out, what do you love about A24? What do you think of when someone mentions A24? A24 has truly become like the millennial Gen Z distribution Mm -hmm. production company. And I think that is defined a lot by their merchandising as of late. But I think when they first came out on the scene almost 10 years ago, everything they put out seemed so new, so inventive. Their stories were so vibrant and you got something new from every movie and it kept me intrigued. I was always looking for what they were going to bring next and that's what I want in movies. I want new experiences. I want original content. I always want to be shocked and surprised by what's happening on screen. Yeah, I I think the merchandise is a great place to start. I think that A24 is really easy to make fun of for a lot of reasons. I think that sometimes their social media presence or the merchandise, how expensive it is or how quickly it sells out or what they're choosing to put in their store, they definitely have staked their claim in the millennial Gen Z film Twitter space as the cool distributor, which I think Mm -hmm. is fascinating because before A24 for me... I was always into film, but I never followed a distributor. Like, I never thought, like, okay, what is this distributor putting out next until A24? And I think, like you said, being shocked and surprised, I don't always, like, need that in my film-going experiences. But what I will say is now, the movies that are popular, we have so much IP and franchise content. We have companies like Disney that are afraid to let their characters be villains, or if they are, they have to apologize for it or give it an explanation. And I want stories that are new and original and that let people be layered and have nuance and be evil if they are or be good if they are and not just be one or the other, you know, not just be stereotypical characters to be really complex characters and to Mm -hmm. give their viewers something that they can be obsessed with. I feel that A24 films kind of tap into that experience that I talk about always searching for when I watch movies, which is to think about something for a long time after I see it. And that could be because of the characters. It could be because it's a new director who I want to learn more about, or they're showing me the way that you can tell stories through film in really creative ways. Even if they're bad, we're not saying that all A24 movies are good. Like, they're certainly not. There are some that really grind my gears. But I think for the most part, I'm always interested in what they're making. And I think they allow their directors and crew members, everybody, a lot of creative control. And I think that's Mm -hmm. why I love them, too, is that I'm sure there's oversight, but 
it's not as apparent or these stories are so wacky that it doesn't seem like a studio is trying to dull them or glaze over them. Definitely. And we'll get into some box office numbers shortly, but I think that it shows that with some of these films, audiences do actually crave some new content. They want experiences that are fresh and inventive, not just your typical like blockbuster action movie, for mm-hmm. example. And A24 is still making their way as a big player at the Oscars. As of the Oscars a few months ago, they've received 31 total nominations And most recently, with Minari receiving six nominations and one win for Yunya Jung for Supporting Actress. 2017 was their best year at the Oscars, where Moonlight won Best Picture. Barry Jenkins and Terrell Alvin McCraney won Best Adapted Screenplay for Moonlight. And Mahershala Ali also won Best Supporting Actor for Moonlight. I still think when I think of A24 movies, Moonlight to me is the most successful venture that they've had. And the Mm -hmm. Oscars definitely helped there. And then other wins that A24 has picked up at the Oscars in 2016, Brie Larson won Best Actress for Room, Ex Machina won Best Visual Effects, and Amy won Best Documentary Feature. Ex Machina winning Best Visual Effects is still one of the greatest Oscar mysteries to me. It's kind of crazy that it pulled it off against Star Wars, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, these really big movies with huge budgets that Little Ex Machina came in and won. I just, I love this win. I think the visual effects are amazing. And then Amy winning here was big too because that was a really strong year for documentaries. We had Cartel Land, The Look of Silence, What Happened, Miss Simone. And then some upcoming A24 films that we have. We've talked about The Green Knight, which is coming out later in July. The Tragedy of Macbeth, Come On, Come On. And then some movies premiering at the Cannes Film Festival, After Yang, The Souvenir Part 2, and Red Rocket. I think all of these I'm so excited to see. Yeah. So for listeners, I am going to Cannes. I'm very excited. And I'm going to go see The Souvenir Part 2, hopefully at 8.30 (laughs) a.m. Very ready for whatever that experience will entail. (laughs) Well, hopefully Tilda's there. Oh, my God. She's going to be there, too, because she has the French Dispatch and mm-hmm. Memoria. So, oh, my so God. Exciting. And some box office facts here for domestic. Uncut Gems is the number one box office earner for A24, raking in $50 million on a $19 million budget. Lady Bird is next, earning $48 million on a $10 million budget. Hereditary is third with $44 million on a $10 million budget. Moonlight is fourth with $28 million, and Moonlight only had a budget estimated between $1.5 and $4 million, and Midsommar Mm -hmm. is fifth with $27 million on a $9 million budget. And then internationally, Hereditary holds the number one spot with $81 million, which, yes, seems like a lot, but it's still surprising to me that no A24 film has surpassed the $100 million mark yet especially Lady Bird, especially Hereditary. These names that I know we've talked about a lot and I don't feel like we're that niche that these are so bizarre. It's almost like I want Hereditary to get an October re-release so it can earn more (laughs) and get over that because, you know, so many people would go see that in theaters again. Totally. (laughs) It is weird, though. I mean, 80 million is a lot for something like Hereditary, but also, yeah, I wonder what the movie will be that crosses that mark Mm -hmm. all right it's time to get into zola so description here a stripper named zola embarks on a wild road trip to florida it's directed by janixa bravo and co-written by janixa and jeremy o'harris it's based on the twitter thread by asia wells and we will definitely be talking about the 148 tweets here but it stars taylor page riley keogh coleman domingo and nicholas braun So what did you think of Zola? I will start by saying that I definitely admire it more than I would say I like it. It's Mm -hmm. taken me a few days to get to this point. When I first watched it, I will say I didn't really know what to make of it. I was trying to figure out a lot of the choices that Janixa Bravo made. The further I step away from it in my first viewing experience, I actually really 
am excited about her as a filmmaker and what she has to say mm-hmm. about stories. And I think that it is a really compelling and provocative adaptation. I think that's partly because Jeremy O'Harris, as a writer, you know, he wrote Slave Play. Mm-hmm. His work is very provocative and it's it's always going to be a conversation starter and it's not going to be for everyone. And I think that's perfectly fine. And I would say the same thing about Zola. I also really liked that it wasn't as explosive as I thought it would be. What did you okay. think? Well, speaking of Janixa, she was so compelling in interviews. I really loved listening to what she had to say and what she wanted to bring to this project. So I definitely agree with you there on being excited about her future projects. Mm-hmm. And with Jeremy O'Harris, I loved seeing Slay Play. I am so happy that mm-hmm. I saw that on stage. Me too. So I think them as collaborators, I think what at first I didn't really understand with how they were adding things to the original story and trying to make it into something else. As I listened to them and read more about the interracial relationship between Stephanie and Zola, it made me appreciate more what they were trying to do. And I think some of their techniques struggled for me. Like it was almost too A24 in a way. It reminded me somewhat of what Waves was trying to do with their cinematography. Like for me, the pacing and editing felt off. They were, I think, trying to add the Twitter part to it a little bit too much. But I guess before we totally break it down, I think I've come to like it a little bit more. And I wonder how viewers who haven't read the Twitter thread are going to think of it. So I will go back into some of the things that you said about things that you maybe didn't Mm -hmm. like or like most A24. I found Waves to be incredibly unsuccessful, especially with visual style and with the filmmaking. I found it to be that hitting you over the head thing that A24 movies sometimes do where it's just like too much and doesn't have a purpose. And it's like, look at me. I'm a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm doing. And I didn't see that here. I actually loved how the Twitter noises were incorporated. I think that it was definitely a little bit gimmicky, but it was a very metatextual element to the story. And I think that it showed her internal monologue in a really interesting way, because anytime we hear a Twitter noise, that's when like a verbatim tweet would appear in the text, which I thought was unique. It feels to me like what they were doing there was showing you and recalling the emotions that you feel when you get a Twitter notification. If you're a person who is very online or who is addicted to Twitter, that sound triggers a response, whether it's euphoria because you get a like or you get a message you don't want to see and it's dread. And I think that this might be the only movie so far that has used social media in that way that is innovative and perfectly effective. I think that they really understand the horror and the weight of being online and the omnipresence of social media and the way that you present yourself and how it differs in real life, how you can have Mm -hmm. a persona online that's going to be very different than how you present yourself in real life. And I think that's a really compelling way to adapt a Twitter thread because a Twitter thread is a Twitter thread. And what you're getting through the writing of a Twitter thread is looking back at the aftermath. You're not living in the moment specifically. And as effective as that writing on Twitter can be, it wouldn't have been exactly maybe as Zola felt in the moment. It's going to be exaggerated because we always tell stories with more dramatic effect, with Mm -hmm. more comedic effect and punch than you actually might feel when you're in the moment. And obviously telling a story through words and through visual elements, those two pathways are very different. But I felt like I had a much stronger pull from the Twitter thread. Like some of my emotional reactions weren't as strong on screen. I think though that comes because it's it was the first time you experienced the story. I think that the first time you experience it wherever that's going to be is going to be more shocking. I kind of view them as two separate texts. I love The Shining, the book by Stephen King, and I love the movie by Stanley Kubrick. It's an adaptation. It can be different. It can channel different feelings within you. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that difference between the texts as well is that from interviews, Janixa really spoke on making Zola this observer. Mm -hmm. And definitely as an audience, we are Zola. We're trying to understand what's happening because we're thrown into this mix 
Stephanie is lying to us too, and we don't really know what's about to happen. So Zola is watching and reacting to everything when they're in the bedroom and X wants them to trick. And Zola's like, there's no way I'm doing that. You know, we are just as shocked as her. And one thing that Janixa said is that they were trying to distance Zola in processing her trauma. So I think that's another interesting way to look at it and try to Mm -hmm. understand her perspective. I think so. And I think that was, I was also thinking about what you said about the editing, because I also really like the editing. (laughs) One thing that she does that I think is pretty brilliant, honestly, I thought it was really cool, Um, just because I love symbols and I love art history. So first you start out and you almost get, right, you have this duality between Zola and Stephanie. They almost look like mirror images or like an angel and a devil. That's the tweet at the beginning, the... Y'all want to hear a story about why me and this bitch here fell out. It's kind of yeah. long before suspense. So that, right, is the, that's our entry point. But then where we get is we get this really beautiful shot along with the score, I think, of when Zola is imagining herself kind of trying on these different stripper outfits. Mm-hmm. And we get, we get three different outfits and we get them presented as a triptych. So this is something that's some, a lot of times used in Christian art, actually where you'll have three panels. And that's how I really viewed this was, okay, you have these, everything was in threes and this, the panel of three. And this, to me, and Janixa has said this too, that this story definitely has three parts to it. It's almost like it has a three act structure. And to me, I love the way that it progresses through these three panels or three acts or three separate tales and with different tones that are connected as you move through this journey to hell basically and I think that the editing I liked that I like how it starts out really punchy and then you get to the end and you have these moments of just like quiet and stillness and dread and that's something that I didn't expect that was really thought-provoking again it's one of those things where I'm like did I like this movie like is just not really the right word but it's that was definitely Mm -hmm. thought-provoking Um, for me and how she structured that and set it up and how the editing and the cinematography and everything kind of revolved around that three-part structure. So getting into some of our favorite scenes or moments or performances, what were some of yours? I really liked most of the cast here. I thought that Riley Keough as this white demon was (laughs) excellent. I think that that role would be incredibly hard to not make feel like a total caricature but she felt like a real person to me coleman domingo he really went for it as well i I thought he was great they both do some accent work i will say that is compelling i know they both work with dialect coaches on those accents and going into them they were probably the standouts for me i will say though i do i like taylor page a lot i think that she was the center of the film i think that Taylor Page has a wildly expressive face where she can set the tone of a scene just with one look in her eye or Mm -hmm. one inflection in her voice. So I thought that she was fantastic. The Nicholas Braun character, I, we can talk about that maybe later on, but I just, I don't really know how to feel about that. That's going in the next category for me. That's not here. (laughs) Okay. But I did really like Taylor's performance. Definitely the facial expressions I very much identify with. So I loved that from her. And I think those expressions got some of the phrasing or say like the bold font from some of her tweets across better than like overacting would have, I guess. Mm -hmm. I also liked this movie was very lean. Definitely could have added more at places. Maybe we can talk about that next, but I liked the length. And I also thought that I will say the lack of female nudity in it and the um we'll call excessive male nudity was interesting because i think that if a man directed a movie about strippers or sex workers Mm -hmm. we would get a lot a lot of riley keogh nudity here specifically Mm -hmm. and we don't have that and i i liked that i thought that was that was a nice touch by janixa Mm -hmm. definitely And those men were just awful. They were so gross. Oh, my God. It is quite jarring. And there's obviously the one scene in particular that Mm -hmm. everybody in the theater made a noise to. (laughs) 
everyone in my theater just started rustling around kind of like no one could really sit still (laughs) so what didn't work for you so i mentioned the editing and the pacing i think those are big ones for me i think where i was supposed to feel lots of intensity like towards the end when they're going to that hotel room and they grab stephanie into the room and zola runs away i thought that was really off like that could have been a really thrilling adrenaline pumping scene but I didn't feel like I was in it. And so I think other things where, you know, they're driving down to Florida and we have a lot of these tracking shots that didn't really do much for me. We obviously along the way see Confederate flags and we see the transition into this Florida hellhole. I get that. But some of the shots briefly mentioning the peeing shot from overhead, I think that was like a very interesting viewpoint and like choice of a shot but I don't get like what it was trying to say about the color of their pee Stephanie's just an unhealthy woman drink your water (laughs) I know I was like please go get a water bottle (laughs) and along these tracking shots we got a lot of timestamps, but nothing was happening that we needed to know like it was 2.24am like that was not a specific that we needed for that time I guess I just viewed, like, the timestamps and the tracking shots to just, and, like, her always just, like, in the back seat to show how far away she was from home, right? Traveling from Detroit to Tampa with people you just met. Like, how far Mm -hmm. away and how much danger Zola was about to face. Like, leaving those little things, like, increasing the distance, increasing the anxiety. Not necessarily increasing your own personal you know, need for a thrill. Maybe it's, I don't see the film as a thriller. I view it more as like a dark comedy with some surrealism Mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. I'm not sure about like the exactness of the timestamps, but I viewed it very similarly as like the feeling you have when you're like on a road trip or at a party where you don't want to be. And you're just like, dear God, like how long is this really going to last? And why am I with these people? Now I'm stuck. Yeah. That feeling of being trapped. So I think it just kind of further enforces that. The peeing shot, I I don't really have an answer for you. (laughs) And then I think the placement, maybe you can help me here, of, you know, they go over to this house where there are multiple guys and Stephanie kneels down and then it cuts to the at Stephanie story where we hear her perspective, which was a real thread on Reddit that originally her name was Jess that she had released. And it almost felt too mocking of her words to actually be another perspective of what had actually happened from Jess or Stephanie's eyes. And I felt, I guess, apart from the story, the placement of that was just so jarring to me. I agree. Replacement. I think that the placement when this was happening, I thought the movie was about to end, actually. I felt like this was like the coda of the movie (laughs) and that's how we were going to wrap it up. I think that here, right, we have, like, Zola's words are the sacred text to Jeremy and Janixa. And Stephanie's Mm. words, she is the villain of the story. And, yes, I think you can try to have empathy for any character. But what worked there is it was showing, like, how easily and quickly Stephanie took on blackness and attributes of blackness for her own benefit. Mm. And then was able to discard them when she felt like it and when it benefited her. And, like, how quickly her tears come and how quickly she was able to just kind of pretend that certain things didn't happen. I feel like that was more of a commentary, again, on, like, whiteness and race as opposed to telling her story in the same way. Because here, Zola's words, right, are the text. Stephanie's words Mm -hmm. aren't. I think they're observing the tone with which she told the story, her story on Reddit. And that's how Mm -hmm. they wanted to show it in the movie it's this kind of exaggerated absurd way yeah i think this idea of ownership and whose story is the real story i think is another part that they're getting at because like you said earlier there's probably some embellishment to all sides of the story mm-hmm. and also along with Janixa and Jeremy, David Kushner, who is an editor for Rolling Stone, who wrote the story Zola Tells All, the real story behind the greatest stripper saga ever tweeted. And he now is also a producer on this film. But that story was another way of telling what Zola had told. Mm -hmm. And at one point, that was the sole text for this movie, not Zola. And he was going to be 
you know, co-writer for this movie, along with James Franco, who was supposed to direct, and this was back in 2017. So this has gone through a lot of revisions, but I think it's interesting that these three different viewpoints and stories Mm -hmm. are all colliding, and it's how Janix and Jeremy are forming the story out of Zola's tweets. So I know it's a lot and can seem a little convoluted, yeah, and Zola was involved too. Like they involved the real Zola a little mm-hmm. bit in the story development, which I think that's always important to you know have the person who was there, right? Like sign yeah. off on everything. But yeah, it's it's a lot to think about, and definitely it sticks with you. I I'm still thinking about it. Let's talk about cousin Greg a little bit and Derek. I think I felt the same way as you did. I didn't love this character. I thought it the development at least wasn't there. I went back and read through the Twitter thread again today and him befriending the guy outside of the motel makes sense. But I think at the ending, there wasn't enough of showing him going crazy inside and like dealing with probably being bipolar before the ending where he just jumps over the railing. I don't think there was enough lead up into that for me to understand that like, Yes, this is bothering him, but now he's just going to go throw himself over a ledge that there was no connection there for me. You're going to really hate this, or maybe not, but I think listeners might. The whole time I was watching this, I just couldn't separate him from Cousin Greg in succession. It just, like, didn't – I couldn't do it. But I did keep thinking, like, this would be better with Pete Davidson in the part. (laughs) I think in comparison maybe to Twitter where you wanted like more character development when it, he escalates, I feel that it's hard because the tone in the movie is so comedic and absurd that mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily like what they could have added to help that there or to, you know, give it more. In the Twitter thread, they're at the house and Jess and X buy Zola and Jarrett tickets to go home, to fly home. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Jarrett's like, oh, you're not coming home with me? And Jess is like, no, I'm not. So then he gets upset and throws himself over the ledge. That makes sense. But I don't remember that happening in the movie. I think that we have so many, like he does this so many times in the movie where he clearly needs approval from her and is yeah unwell. He does this so many times that I think it made, I had enough at least there to be like, okay, this one is just absurd and two we've experienced this from him so many times like all through the motel room like when she gets back like all that Mm -hmm. he's constantly needing approval and validation from her so to me it just seemed like okay this is the last straw of that but yeah maybe additional development there would have helped I feel like I don't really care enough about this character to like that's the problem too like of all the characters I just didn't really care for him or Mm -hmm. about this character just really awkward and uncomfortable to watch too and i like nicholas braun especially in succession but this just felt like i don't know it just was it was too hard for me and that's you know probably on me so should we get into the ending then and how we felt about that let's do it how did you feel about the ending i was really surprised it ended on the highway as again they were just driving I mean, it felt kind of unsatisfying. You're seeing Zola process all of this and just say, oh, I want to get home. And you feel that too, but I needed more. Yeah, it's it's hard because when it ended, I was like, oh, that, you know, that has no ending, right? It's, there's no sense of catharsis. There's no like wrap up to it. But then part of me is like, you know, life is this way. Like, when is your life ever tied up in a bow and you understand, you know, you Mm -hmm. have this complete ending. And I think that kind of goes along with the way that the rest of the movie works of how there are all these dangers ahead for her. And the ending that we get in the Twitter thread can feel like an epilogue. And I guess if you want to know what happens at the end, you can go find it there. Mm -hmm. But... I do wonder, I think, how it would have felt if we had that at the end of the movie. And I guess it's not the point. Like, she wants us to feel unsettled and she wants the ambiguity there. But sometimes ambiguity works for me and sometimes it doesn't. And here I think I wanted a little more. I think with the Twitter ending, it's maybe funnier 
than they wanted the movie to end, Mm -hmm. which I can kind of see now. But I feel like it also ties everything up because, I don't know, spoiler, but Z goes to jail for being a sex trafficker. Z being X. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be a nice way to wrap up that storyline. So do you see this movie having any awards potential? No, (laughs) I do not. I just think, you know, as far as A24 movies go, this to me, you know, is one of those that will have its audience and will have people who really like it and people who champion it. And I definitely think it has really strong components that if it received awards, I would be happy for it. But I think the only places I could see it coming up would be critics, groups, um, and then Indie Mm -hmm. Spirit would be like the big one for it. But as far as like Oscars go or main industry awards, I'm going to say no. What about you? Yeah, I was also going to say Indie Spirit, some of the smaller award ceremonies, maybe acting or maybe Jeremy O'Harris, since this is his first feature screenplay. It would be a really inspired choice for adapted screenplay. I do think it's a Mm -hmm. pretty fascinating adaptation and to come from a Twitter thread and how it uses social media. And then if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? Can we like give it an Indie Spirit Award here instead? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would give it to Taylor Page. I think she showed a lot of control and I really liked how she expressed this character of Zola. We just saw her in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And so to see her transition from that to this, I'm excited to see what she's going to do next. What Oscar would you give this movie? I think I would say original score. I really liked Micah Levi's score. They also did the score for Jackie and Under the Skin. Both of those I also really like. I love the harp that's used in the score and how it kind of mimics sounds that you would hear on social media apps. So I thought it was a really inventive but pleasing score. I really liked it. And it, on our day of recording, is out today. So I think that Zola is an incredibly thought-provoking movie from New Voices to A24 that I'm excited to see what else they do next, both Jeremy O'Harris and Janixa Bravo. I would recommend going to see this and seeing what you think. Like we said at the beginning, it's not going to be for everyone, but I do think that after you see it, just kind of linger on it and let us know what you think. I read that they didn't want this to be like this huge summer blockbuster movie, but I do think it evokes summer in really strong ways. And Mm -hmm. I liked that a lot for this having been released in June. And I'm excited to hear more from Janixa and Jeremy and the cast on deeper elements of the movie. There aren't too many currently, so I'm hoping more are released in the coming weeks just in breaking down this movie and trying to understand some of those things that maybe we didn't like. But I think if you do want something really edgy and somewhat controversial, definitely go see Zola. Okay, now it's time for our first A24 game. This was modeled after a game that we played on our David Fincher retrospective episode. And what we're going to do is we're going to do some A24 superlatives. So we're going to list some adjectives here and say which A24 movie we think best fits in to each category. So first off, their most ambitious movie. For this one, I have Ex Machina. What do you have? I have The Lobster. Oh, God grown for me sorry i oh, no. i can i do not like the lobster at all <laughs> Oof. as a perpetually single person the lobster is a no for me <laughs> it is a little hard for me it was a little better on second viewing and i do see myself watching it again oh because God. it's just so perplexing so yeah i said ex machina because i think it's just it has really gorgeous special effects and just is a really unique story and i love the twists and turns in it and the performances most disappointing under the silver lake oh my god i i was laughing when i was going through these movies because i know how you feel about that one i still have never seen it i mean i would say that you don't have to so okay maybe one day i'll try it (laughs) mine is hot summer nights the timothy chalamet vehicle (laughs) that is not good and i haven't seen that either I will say the same thing to you. You can skip it. (laughs) Most impressive. I think Moonlight. It does what every A24 film set in Florida tries to do. I also had Moonlight. Most unique. I'm going to say eighth grade here. Oh, I have High Life. (laughs) 
which I love. I think it's a great space movie and different from every other space movie I've seen. Yeah, that's true. I probably would put that in bizarre for me. Mm. You'll laugh at what I have coming there. Most fun. I have good time here. Very stress inducing, but fun for me. I would say the bling ring here. <laughs> I think that's a good adjective to describe it. Just, yeah, such a riotous time for sure. Mm-hmm. Most bizarre. Climax. Another no for me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I liked, but is just crazy the feeling you have leaving that movie. Like I felt like I was drunk or on some other planet. Mine here is a tie between the killing of a sacred deer and the lobster. That tracks, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> are those both Lanthimos? They are, yeah. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> the favorite I love, but those two I'm right. I'm not as into. Most rewatchable. Ladybird. Yeah, this is easy. Mm-hmm. I'm also Ladybird. <laughs> it's so easy to just throw on. It's so good. Most forgotten. Mine here is Lean on Pete because this was the horse year where the rider also came out and that to me is just highly superior i thought that the rider and lean on pete were the same movie for months yes, until for so I, long so long <laughs> until so i watched lean on pete first and like thought that was the one you recommended oh my god this is not the best movie of the year like please <laughs> <laughs> and then i realized i got it wrong and there were just so many horse movies Mine would be while we're young, because it's just odd to me that I forget that there's an A24 Noah Baumbach Adam Driver movie. I vaguely remember what that was about. Yeah, Yeah. it's really weird. It's just like kind of a parody of itself. So what would be the least A24 movie? I chose The Souvenir here, mostly because it's much more meditative than other A24 films. And as you know, I Mm -hmm. love it deeply. I have Enemy here. I had no idea that was an A24 movie. I forgot that's A24. It's definitely an independent movie, but sharper than other A24 movies I think of. This is the last one I need to watch on my Denis watch list. And then the most A24. This is Spring Breakers for me. They started (laughs) off with a bang. (laughs) That's a good one. I chose another Florida movie here, Waves. Just doing the most. Okay, yeah. (laughs) The A24 movie with the best score. This was really hard. There are a lot of scores I really like, but I went with Moonlight, Nicholas Bertel. I was going to say Nicholas Bertel or Emile Masseri. Which one are we choosing here? I know. It was one of them. (laughs) And I went with Emile Masseri for Minari. Okay. Yeah, that was my second choice. Most unexpected. This is one of my most memorable viewing experiences because I was so thrown off. I had... No idea what was going to happen five minutes from now. This is good time. Mm. Mine is actually Zola. I really just, this was totally different from what I was expecting. (laughs) (laughs) Totally pacing, all of it. Totally, completely different. Hottest A24 movie. I'm going to cheat here, if it's okay, and go with a TV show, Euphoria. (laughs) Oh, okay. I mean, if I had to pick a movie... I would say The Lighthouse. (laughs) That was my choice. (laughs) Amazing. Spookiest. I'm going with a ghost story. I mean, obviously, Hereditary is the correct answer here, but I tried to pick something a little off the beaten path. Yeah, I actually picked The Witch here for the same reason. Like, Hereditary, I totally get, but The Witch was just really unsettling to me. It wasn't, it didn't scare me in in the sense that regular horror movies did, but I found it very spooky, and I just liked the whole aesthetic to the movie. And last but not least, the most A24 movie that isn't actually A24. I put Booksmart here. It just feels like it's an A24 movie. Mm -hmm. It's Annapurna, which is kind of similar. What did you pick? Mine is Assassination Nation, which is neon. Do you like this movie? I do, yeah. (laughs) I do not. This is a one star for me. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this was so fun. Oh, boy. Okay, so now for a second game, we'll be talking about A24 characters you'd most like to blank. And these all are scenarios from A24 movies. Okay. Introduce to your family. So I chose Black from Moonlight, who is the third part of the movie. 
So if I'm thinking of just who I would bring home to my parents in that type of way, I picked... I'm scared. I think you'll you'll laugh. I picked Mr. Bruno, a.k.a. Jake McDormand in Lady Bird, who's the math teacher. Oh my god. I feel like he's like the only, like one of the few high quality men in A24 movies who I'm like, okay, he could be a nice person to introduce to my parents. The other option that I had is Julie from Lady Bird, because I feel like my family would love her. Is that Beanie? Yeah. So A24 character you most like to spend Thanksgiving with? I cheated a little bit here, too. I picked the entire family from The Farewell. I mean, that counts. Yeah, I feel like Thanksgiving's like a family holiday, and Mm -hmm. they would be fun. I mean, I first went with the O'Neill family, who owns the picturesque house from Lady Bird, but mm-hmm. I just ended up with the McPhersons from Lady Bird. Yeah. I think it'd be so fun to have Mary and McPherson at the dinner table serving me turkey. Oh, for <laughs> sure. She would be so happy you were there too since Lady Bird skipped. <laughs> Join a cult with. I'm going with the female in Under the Skin, who is oh. played by Scarlett Johansson. I'm going with Joan, aka Anne Dowd and Hereditary, simply because. She's very persuasive. She knows what she's doing. And I think that she would be loyal to me. I think that that would work. (laughs) Take a road trip with. I picked Felix slash Bill Murray in On the Rocks. I feel like that would be so fun. And he has that cool car. That's a great one. Yeah. I went with Dorothea Fields in 20th Century Women, who's played by Annette Bening. Also great conversation, I think. Yes. (laughs) Bail you out of jail. So here I went with Felix from On the Rocks. And here I went with Dorothea from 20th Century Women. I feel like I would love for her to bail me out of jail. It would be like, first, no questions asked. But then she'd be like, I actually want to hear the story. What happened? (laughs) Go to Vegas with. I picked Sunja, a.k.a. Yunya Jung in Minari. (laughs) She loves gambling. Oh, yeah. And I feel like she would want an early bedtime, which I also would want. I chose Julia from Uncut Gems, played oh, by Julia Fox. That's Yes, that's so good. <laughs> Be trapped yeah. in a lighthouse with. I know I haven't seen this movie, and honestly, I should cheat with somebody from Euphoria here, but I'm choosing Daniel from Hot Summer Nights, who is Timothy Chalamet. Okay. I went with the movie here and just said Thomas, Rob Pattinson in the lighthouse. <laughs> Commit a crime with. Here, I picked Julia from Uncut Gems. Okay. I feel like we would be a great duo. <laughs> Who did you pick? I could see her in some heist movie. That would be really fun. She's in the new Steven Soderbergh. Amazing. I chose Pat from Green Room, who's played by Anton Yelchin. Have as a bad partner. I said Ava in Ex Machina, played by Alicia Vikander, because she would literally murder me and leave me in a basement. So my cheat answer is Nate from Euphoria, Jacob Elordi. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the answer. But my other answer is Nathan, Oscar Isaac in Ex Machina. It would be scary, but I mean, he has that nice house. He's Oscar Isaac. I really just went with looks here. Go to prom with. I'm also basing this off of who I would have wanted to go to prom with in high school. And that is... Miles Teller's character in The Spectacular Now. (laughs) Yes, that tracks. (laughs) I chose Mark from The Bling Ring, who's played by Israel Broussard. Oh, yeah. I can also see that. Have as a boss. Steven Garza from Boy State. Oh, that's a good one. I love that. I picked Willem Dafoe's character in The Florida Project. It's very no-nonsense, but I feel like he would be a good Um, boss. Yeah was worried you were going to say The Lighthouse. I said, absolutely not. Oh my god, no. <laughs> I couldn't handle that. Okay, and last but not least, do an edible with. I picked Amanda, also known as Jennifer Ely in St. Maud. Oh my god. <laughs> what? Wow. I thought her character was great and I needed more. I chose Sunja from Minari here, played by Yunya Jung. <laughs> That's great. If you could pick three A24 movies to recommend to our listeners, what would you pick? So I think the big ones here for me would be like Hereditary, Lady Bird, 
the farewell but i think if we're going deeper cuts i would recommend under the skin directed by jonathan glazer who i mentioned earlier green room which i also love and is the wildest most intense ride about a punk rock band who has to fight for survival after they witness this neo-nazi murder at a bar and then my final one would be good time which I just recommend for a totally unexpected viewing experience and some incredible acting by Robert Pattinson and something I would want to be for Halloween every single year. I think the journey they take through Queens is just so jarring and I love to rewatch this. What would your recommendations be? I would say we definitely have like similar big ones. Not that this is necessarily a deep cut, but... I love 20th Century Women. I think if you're looking for a coming-of-age story that you maybe haven't seen before, um, this one is great. It also has Greta Gerwig acting in it. Annette Benning, obviously also a draw, directed by Mike Mills, who has another movie coming out this year. Come on, come on. Another one would be Ex Machina, which we've talked a little bit about today. This was written and directed by Alex Garland, has Oscar Isaac, Alicia Vikander in it, and it's just a really beautiful sci-fi film. It's also kind of a psychological thriller. I really, really like this one. And lastly, I would choose The Souvenir. It's very elegant. And as listeners probably know by now, I love movies that are relationship dramas that showcase the inner turmoil of working women. (laughs) So I think that this one definitely fits into that category. Directed by Joanna Hogg. And The Souvenir Part 2 is coming out at Cannes very soon. So overall, lots of 824 love. So many movies that we revisit time and time again. And I know we've mentioned on the pod so many times. I think they have a movie for every single mood that you could be in. And again, all of their movies are available on Canopy for free. So I definitely recommend checking them out there. This was really fun. I'm glad that we got to talk about the movies of A24. We're definitely going to talk about more throughout the year as they have really exciting releases planned. And it was fun to play these games and talk about Zola, their newest release. So definitely go see Zola and let us know which A24 movie is your favorite. So next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be doing an Oscar Rewind, but for this one, we'll be looking specifically at a notable person in Oscar history, and that is William Wyler. He just had a birthday on July 1st, and William Wyler has won Best Director three times. He's tied with Frank Capra for second place in that category, and then he also has the most nominations for Best Director with 12. So what we'll be doing here is we will be covering all three of his best director wins which include mrs miniver from 1942 the best years of our lives from 1946 and ben-hur from 1959 how ready are you to watch these long movies (laughs) i think i've only seen ben-hur but it was a long time ago this is going to be a great refresher and i haven't seen the other two I, i really haven't seen many of his movies so i'm excited to dive in and learn about william wyler Looking over his filmography, I really do love a lot of his films, and all three of these movies also won Best Picture in their Oscar years. So he's a huge figure in Oscar history, and I'm very excited to learn more about him and to talk about him with you (laughs) and these movies. I'm so curious which one you'll like best. Mainly, I just need your reaction to Mrs. Miniver. I'm slightly nervous now. And this episode will come out a little later. It'll come out on Friday instead of on Thursday because as I mentioned at the top of the episode, I will be traveling and I'll have a fun update about how that all goes as well. Well, thank you all for listening and we will see you next week. Thanks everyone. See you next time. Bye.